Well, good morning. It's great to be with you. As mentioned, I uh, spent five great years of my life here in Lexington. My great-grandma was actually buried here, so I've got family roots here as well. And it's uh, great to be back just for a moment, just for this day, to share a little bit about what God is teaching me through his word. Um, I grew up uh, not in a church uh, and um, didn't grow up knowing Jesus. And I met Jesus in Kentucky, so at, at Eastern Kentucky University, go Colonels. So oftentimes, Kentucky is a very sweet place for me, uh, even though I just live. And Ohio is just right, I mean, it's just an hour and a half away, but it is very different. It is very different, and I always enjoy coming back. So thank you for the, for the warm welcome to be here this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Romans 10. I'm going to be reading verses 13 through 15 and verse 17. And, you know, the, we call these parachute sermons. I'm just dropping in, and I'm leaving, right? Um, and I thought about, you know, what would an, an encouraging word be for you guys this morning? Uh, and, I, and, I, and I thought about this. And um, I don't know you, right? I know some of you, uh, yeah, but I don't know all of you. And, uh, but if, I, I just am making an assumption that if you go to church on Sunday morning, uh, that you probably want to live a beautiful life for God, right? Um, that, that that would be a value of yours, that you want to know what that means and how that might be defined and what a beautiful life for God might look like. And for some of us, maybe we kind of lean on our own understandings Maybe we look at people around us who we think are godly people and want to live their life. Or maybe we kind of lean on our own intuitions, right? Kind of within of what we believe a beautiful life to God for be, to be. And I'm thankful that God's word gives us definition of what a beautiful life for him looks like. And it tells us right here in Romans 10. So hear God's word to you this morning. For everyone... Who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How then will they call on him whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are those, are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we pray that your glory would fill Lexington like water covers the seas. And Father, would you use uh, this moment would you use your word? Would you use the prayers that we prayed, the confessions that we confessed, the songs that we'd sing? Would you use those as, a, as another brick or a, another chain in the link of our lives that you are building to accomplish your work in Lexington as it is in heaven? God, I pray for us that you would help us to aspire, to know and to aspire to live beautiful lives for you with this one life you've given us. We lift these things up in Jesus' name, I pray, amen. Well, you know, in this last year or so, I've been, I've been noticing more and more articles, right? I'm a pastor, so I'm in the church business, so I read a lot about church. And I've been noticing just more and more by, by secular and by religious authors, blog posts and, and you know, uh, podcasts and different things, um, referring to what's being called as a rapid decline in Christianity in America. 
citing a really good study that was done by Pew Research in 2022 after the pandemic. And according to this study, in 1972, 92% of Americans identified as Christian. And again, that, that, you know, that, that definition, we don't know what that means. It just means that if you were to walk on the street and ask 100 people, 92 of them would identify as being a Christian, whether that's Catholic or Protestant or Orthodox. But, but Pew reported that come 2070, right, so looking at current trends to, from 1970 until, until now, based upon these current trends, that the, the number of those who identify as Christian will drop below 50%, uh, citing that probably the number that we should be thinking about would be 35% with this, this idea, this term as religiously unaffiliated or nuns outnumbering Christians as the new religious majority in the United States. And the conclusion that they draw from this study is that following Christ is becoming less and less popular in this place that we call home. And, and I'm wondering how this data, these statistics might sit with you. At best, perhaps you're maybe surprised or maybe saddened by this, or at worst, perhaps you're experiencing some fear, right? What will my kids, what kind of world will my kids grow up in? Maybe you're experiencing some insecurity, maybe some worry. And, and while this data may sound a bit problematic for Christianity uh, in America, I believe it doesn't really have to be. It doesn't have to be a problem. Because what if we saw this so-called decline in Christianity as an incredible opportunity as Christians? An opportunity where God may be inviting us back to being a Romans 10 kind of a person who live as a sent person in the places that God has put us. There are many reasons, right, why people are saying this decline is happening, um, and I'm not going to get into that. The, the research says it, and perhaps maybe you can feel it. And although America may be going through a bit of an identity crisis, it doesn't mean that we, the church, have to follow. We can't control what goes on in our culture. You can't. But we can control what goes on in us. We can't control what feeds us, what informs our lives, and therefore what comes out of us. And just like how the Apostle Paul, who wrote Romans, right, he encouraged the Roman church to know Christ intimately and to make him known publicly at any cost, I believe that God is redirecting his followers here in America to have that same mentality. We have a choice. We can either choose to retreat from this world that God has placed us in, or we can be like Christ and be present for the sake of our neighbors so that they too may come to embrace the hope, the real and living hope, not just for eternity, but for right now, the hope that we have in Jesus. So as we take a moment, just briefly walk back through Romans 10, the big application I want us to think about, right? If there's, if there's anything you walk away with, it's this. Let us, li let us live as a sent people who send people. And there are two points worth drawing out that inform this application for us. The first is, is this promise of God's salvation, and the second is, is the process of God's salvation. So let's first look at God's promise. Now, if we really do, if we aspire to live lives as a sent people who send people, we have to answer this question. Sent to do what? And verse 13 tells us of a promise that's made known to us that we as Christ followers are called to make known, which is God's promise of salvation that comes from hearing 
and responding to the good news of Jesus. Look with me again at verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Here Paul quotes a rather famous passage from the Old Testament, from Joel 2, which is a declaration to Israel, who are God's Old Testament people, that there will come a future day of the Lord where a Messiah would come and save his people. And Paul quotes this passage here because he is saying that that future day that God's Old Testament people have been waiting for has now come. It's arrived. And it arrived in the person and work in Jesus. Paul is declaring to them that the Lord has come and that those who call upon his name and therefore trust in him will be saved. But but saved from what? For many Jews, right, living in the time of Jesus, they believed that their salvation was political. They assumed that this salvation would come in their freedom from Roman rule and establishment of the Jewish state. And today in our modern world, we may not think of salvation in like collective political terms, but perhaps we may think of it as individual, right? We think of it as, as material, right, or, or physical salvation. We believe that if we're saved, if we have enough, or we're saved if we are enough for someone. However, this salvation has implications into those things, but this salvation is different that Jesus accomplishes for us. For it's a salvation from our greatest enemies, the enemies of sin and the enemies of death. And this is what Paul talks a lot about in the first nine chapters of Romans. Earlier in Romans, Paul tells us that for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, every person has forgotten their creator and therefore have given themselves to the glory of creation. And what this means, right, is that we, we as people try to find meaning and significance and identity and happiness apart from God in the good gifts that God has given us. Our reputations, our relationships, our wealth, our power, our things. Christianity is in the absence of these things. All right, our, our relationship with God informs how we approach these things. Right? But we, we've, we've declared to God and to everyone else that, God, we don't need you. I'm okay on my own, and we're better off without you. And this has had incredible implications on our lives. It has left us empty and lost, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. That's what Jesus declares when he looks at the estate of Israel and their lostness. He has compassion on them, and he has compassion on you. And the gospel, the good news of God's salvation is this. And even though we are in this helpless estate, we are lost and harassed like sheep without a shepherd and experience the consequences, not just of our own choices, but the choices of those around us that that affect us. Is that God shows his love for us in this and that while we were still sinners in a sinful world, Christ has died for us. And that, that those who look to Christ, right, who call upon his name and said, I've had enough. This, this isn't working for me. These things, this person, this pursuit, this job, this isn't, this isn't working. God, I trust you. Those who do that, right? Says there's no condemnation. Condemnation. No guilt, no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, Paul declares to us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Just calls out. Who calls on him? And this is free. It's free. Christ who died on the cross paid the debt we could not pay 
who, will, who rose again to accomplish the life that we cannot buy. He's done this for us. And all we have to do is just call upon him and be saved. You know, I love the hymn. Perhaps many of you know what it. it's called. Come ye sinners, poor and wretched. Um, it's just, it just so eloquently communicates this reality. Let me, I'm going to read it to you. It says this, Come ye sinners, poor and wretched, weak and wounded, sick and sore. Jesus ready waits to save you, full of pity, love and power. He is able, he is able, he is willing, doubt no more. Come ye needy, come and welcome, God's free bounty glorify. True belief and true repentance, every grace that brings us nigh. Without money, without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. Let not conscience make you linger, nor fitness fondly dream. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. This he gives you, this he gives you, tis the Spirit's rising beam. Without money, come to Jesus Christ and buy. It makes no sense. You can't buy anything without money except the grace of God, because it's free. All the fitness he requires is to feel your need of him. These words communicate a free salvation. I don't know who you think God is and what he requires of you, but I'm telling you, the scriptures declare to you that a beautiful life is a life that needs him. That's it. It just needs him. People are messy. You are messy. I am messy. We are messy. We are only able to endure our messiness and the messiness of others with an awareness and emphasis on God's grace. For we all recalled to do as God's people who have trusted and called on him is to declare and demonstrate to others this same grace we have received and to share about grace, to be heralds of grace, which is what we're going to get into. You must be standing on grace. So as we have seen, if we were to live lives as a sent people who sent people, the first Thing we're called to know is the gospel and to know and abide in this salvation that God has provided for, for us in Christ. And as we continue, we're also invited into a, into a process, right? That, that God is saving. He didn't just save, right? There, there, there's, there's, there's something he is doing that is continual. That's actually been going on for a really, really long time. Look at me at verse, verses 14 in the first part of verse 15. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him in whom they have not heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? You know, through these series of questions, there's this natural and kind of logical progression that God has, has done everything already to provide salvation for those who call on him. But in order for people to call on his name, there's a process that must take place. Uh, first, people must believe. And in order for them to believe, they must hear and in order for them to hear, they must be told. And in order for them to be told, someone must be sent. And in order for someone to be sent, they must first receive. For you can only give what you know. So what we see here from this process is that when God calls someone to come and see, he also calls us to go and tell. According to Paul, if Christ is our Savior, then we are called to live as a sent people, a purposeful people. And to be a sent person this means that God is calling us to cross some sort of boundary. For some, this may mean the boundary of place, um, you know, like an overseas missionary or something. But for most, it actually just means crossing a boundary of insecurity 
or a boundary of interruption or a boundary of inability. If we long for people that we know and love to also call upon the name of the Lord and experience the same hope that we have, right? then it usually means that he's calling us to cross some sort of boundary, some sort of insecurity, some sort of inability, and so on. For if someone is to believe in Jesus, they must be told about him. Um, of course, there are extraordinary means. I've heard some extraordinary ways in which God has saved people, but that's not the ordinary. Um, this is the ordinary way. And for Paul, this, 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 these words were more than just a declaration. Um, it was also a demonstration, right? For, for the same apostle wrote these words, that he was eager to not only share the gospel with others, but his life as well. And as we continue in our passage, we see in the second part of verse 15, um, you know, that, uh, and then skip to 17, we are invited more into the benefits of living a life committed to knowing Christ and making him known. So look with me as we finish out our passage. Um, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Now, uh, the original question, right? Do, do you long to live a beautiful life for God? All right, just think about that, do you? Honestly, think about that. Do you, do, you, do you long to live a life that God sees as beautiful? Well, here's your invitation. Here Paul quotes a, a passage in Isaiah 52, declaring to us that a life that God sees as beautiful is a life that brings the good news of Jesus to others, no matter how messy your feet may be. Uh, and our feet can get messy. Uh, but what, what does Paul mean here when he, when he means preaches? That's, that's really important for us to define. When Paul uses the word preach here, he's not imagining a modern-day scene, right? What's happening right now with a preacher standing up before a congregation. Rather, the word preacher here can also be translated as a herald or a proclaimer that speaks of a, of a really specific kind of communication that was used in the ancient, wor ancient world, right? When a king or an emperor uh, needed to get an announcement out, into his kingdom, he would use heralds to accomplish that task. The king would gather his heralds close into him. He would make the announcement to them, and then he would send out his heralds into the towns and to the villages to declare his message, right? Because there was no internet back then. There was no TikTok. There was no anything like that, right? There was only people. And for us, as people who aspire to live beautiful lives for God, who preach the good news, this is the imagery that Paul wants us to imagine. We, we, we gather as God's people who experience God's salvation to hear the good news of Jesus Christ again and again and again so that we might proclaim the good news of Jesus in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, and so on. And, and this, this proclamation, again, is more than just declaring it, right? It's, it's also communicated in how we live. It's communicated in how we treat people. For if we are to, to successfully declare the go gospel, we must also demonstrate it as well. I had a friend um, in St. Louis who, he, were, he was a, like a headmaster at a Christian school and, um, you know, was really involved at his church. And uh, he was just around Christians all the time. And he, he really felt this conviction to be, be, to be around people who are non-Christians. So he looked up a local atheist support group in his community, and he started just going to it. And uh, it was a really exper amazing experience for him. He, was, uh, he met a lot of really, really nice people. And, and for, for many of these people in this support group, he was the only Christian that they knew. 
and his presence and his, his posture, his hospitality, and, to his, and his friendship spoke volumes to those people. And, and for us, as we contemplate what a life might look like to live as a sent person, I'm not suggesting that everybody go do that. Like those probably exist in Lexington. And if all of Hope Presbyterian were to end up at a local atheist support group, that would be really weird, uh, right? Uh, but I am suggesting that, that it takes intentionality to live this way. It doesn't just happen naturally. You have to think about it. It's, it's, it's really easy just to gather with Christians. It's really easy just to be around people that think the same way that we think, treat each other the same way that we think that we should be treated, and so on. It's really hard to cross a boundary and to think it valuable to spend time around people who don't know Jesus. But according to God, a beautiful life is a life that intentionally walks the streets, metaphorically, and spends time with those who may not be followers of Jesus. You know, many of us have no problem living as a one through nine person, Romans one through nine kind of a person. We love to learn theology. We love to talk theology with others who love to learn theology. But we struggle to live as a Romans 10 kind of a person. Often we struggle to make margin in our lives for those who don't know Jesus. And for Paul, this discipline of of knowing God and making Christ known, knowing Christ and making Christ known, they were never meant to be fragmented, right? They weren't separate things. Or they were never meant to be in competition with one another, which is how a lot of Christ followers think, right? It It was a holistic life. One flowed from the other as, as, as one whole process and one whole person as a follower of Christ. So, so my question to you is, what small choice can you make right now just to create margin in your life to be a herald or a proclaimer of good news to the people around you, therefore living a beautiful life for God? I don't, I don't, know, your, I don't know your world, right? But I know that you probably work. I know you probably live in a neighborhood, right? You live somewhere. That you probably reside in a family, right? Think about those people. How can you love them well by declaring and demonstrating the gospel that you believe, right? And, and live a beautiful life for God. Uh, I picked this quote up a long time ago, and it always sits with me. Uh, it's by a missionary named C.T. Studd. He says this, This one life will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. It's a sobering quote, right? Um, it can feel very burdensome unless you're resting in the good news of Jesus. That God is at work. He is doing something in Lexington. And he's inviting you to be a part of that. So as we've seen from Romans 10, we are called to live as a sent people who send people. Right? If you live this way, you'll, you'll, you'll spin off church plants and things, whatever it may be, from among you. It'll happen. Right? We're called to both know Christ personally and make him known publicly. And we do this as a people who rest in God's promises of salvation and as a people who are obedient to God's process of making his salvation known to others. You know, it's true. You know, the world that we live in is, is certainly changing. It is. Um, but we can rest assured because, because God isn't changing. He's not. That's one of the great things about who he is. And neither is his mission. And neither is the mission of the church. What God has started, he will faithfully finish. And just like the Roman church, Paul wants you to know that your faithfulness to demonstrate and declare the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it matters. There will always be boundaries to cross. 
in our pursuit to reach others around us, but, but, but know that somebody at some time once crossed a boundary so that you may know the gospel that you now know, the Jesus that you now know. Somebody made a sacrifice somewhere. Somebody had a change somewhere that led to you knowing Jesus. And likewise, God is calling us to do the same over a long time. So, you know, the, the spiritual and moral decline that we see and experience is just evidence, right, that we and the world around us uh, desperately need Jesus. It needs to know the good news of Jesus Christ. And my hope and my prayer are that the Lord would stir in each of you a renewed vision uh, to both know Christ personally and make him known publicly where you live, work, learn, and play. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I do, I do pray that this would be true of us. Um, that we would not see that this, this call to declare your good news and to live as a sent person is not a fragmented thing. We're called to do it as we go. You, you told the disciples, as they go, make disciples. Father, we are called to, as we go, into our homes, into our workplaces, to be salt and light, to shine the good news of God brightly, and to live in such a way that preserves the world around us. I pray that this would be true of us. In Jesus' name, amen.